And um, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 10. And uh, here's what I want you to do. If you're on that team, you're on the hungry team, I don't want you to cut out of here if you can't, don't have to. Uh, I'd like you folks to come up here after service and talk to them about what it is they did and uh, interact with them on it. Turn, turn with me to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, Tony or Dave or somebody back there will get you a Bible, okay? You're going to, going to want to follow along. We are in this last six months of Jesus' life. The last six months starts around uh, John chapter 7, etc., and goes for the rest of the book. A lot is devoted to his last part of his life. And we uh, have been dealing with Jesus as he goes to the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles would happen in the fall. It was a commemoration of Lord, the Lord providing for them in the wilderness. And I want you to see something uh, as we get to chapter 10. Look in verse 22. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. So the Feast of Dedication is another way of saying Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. So there's about a two-month or so, three-month gap right in here between chapter 7 and chapter 10. Everybody following? And Jesus continues uh, uh, his debates, his conflict with the uh, religious order of the day, the religious leaders. And they're upset and angry because he now has claimed that he is God. In fact, he's been healing on the Sabbath. And that really was the final straw. He healed somebody at the pool of Bethesda. And, and that was it. That was the final straw. No healing on the Sabbath because that was work and it would go against their man-made traditions. And it upset the religious people of the time. And so we're in this section where there's a lot of conflict. And one of the great themes of the book of John, it's almost every chapter. Somebody believes and somebody doesn't believe Somebody trusts in Christ, and uh, somebody doesn't trust in Christ. It's every chapter, over and over again. And in the middle of this, remember, Jesus is telling us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the writer of John, he's giving us who he is in the seven great I am statements. And at the same time, he's showing us signs several signs that prove that he's the Messiah, the predicted one, the predicted one, changing water into wine, healing a nobleman's son, curing of the Bethesda paralytic, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the Sea of Galilee, and then last week giving sight to a blind man. Okay, and we'll get to some more of those, but the point is, watch this. Jesus doesn't just talk the talk, he also walks the walk about who the Messiah is or who he is. And we come to learn as we look through the book of John that he's God in the flesh. That's who he says he is. So let's jump right in and read verses 1 through 6 of chapter 10. Most assuredly, I have the New King, King James Version. Anybody in here have the King James Version? It says, verily, verily. 
or most assuredly. This is Jesus' way of saying, pay attention. This is really important. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And he, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. Now watch. You can't understand this chapter unless you know the end of the last chapter. Sometimes when you're reading the book of John, it almost feels like, you know, like a, like a, a scene and then an, another unrelated scene or story and then another every chapter. But it's not here, especially this. I want you to remember that this blind man in chapter uh, 9 uh, receives his sight. A man born blind, the only one Jesus healed who was born blind. There was others who became blind and he healed them. But here he's born blind and he heals them. And remember, the Old Testament says that the Messiah is going to give sight to the blind. Hmm. Well, at the end of it, you can't know chapter 10 and the reason he talks about chapter 10 or what he talks about in chapter 10 unless you understand the end of chapter 9. And that's this. Look in verse 40. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And it was really an arrogant dripping with arrogance sort of question like, come on, us, the religious people, how could we be blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore, you sin remains. And you see there the conflict between the religious order and Jesus. But if you pop up to verse 34 of chapter 9, Remember, as he comes back and talks to these Pharisees, these religious people, watch. They're giving him all of these, they're, they're grilling him on who this Jesus was and is. And he just says, I don't know, you, you, I'm not a theologian, I just know I can see now. And he did it. And I'm free. And I can see. And if this man were not from God, verse 33, he could do nothing. And they answered him and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? Watch this. Watch this. The religious people of the day are angry and mad about somebody receiving their sight. So angry and mad, they excommunicate him, and they cast him out. I mean, how sick and evil is external religion? See, that's what happens in external religion when you adhere to all the rules and regulations, although we are to be obedient people in grace. But when you're trying to measure up and measuring against others and have this pretense and this holiness that's not internal, but it's external, it leads to bitterness and anger and, oh, man, don't mess with my religion. And here Jesus comes, heals a blind man, and they throw him out of the synagogue. 
That's the environment in which chapter 10 is birthed or born. Here he comes and he says this, really curious, at least to me. Why in the world would he pick this now? Most assuredly, I say to you, and he brings up and evokes these images of a shepherd. Why a shepherd? Well, see, the entire Bible, God deals with, with his people and brings up the idea of shepherd. Do you remember this? You love this verse. You have it written on your, your, your refrigerator and you recite it and God bless you for doing it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let me remind you, that's in the Old Testament. How about this? We sing songs like this, Psalm 95. He is our God and we're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now that's a Psalm, it's Old Testament. In Psalm 100, we are as people and the sheep of his pasture. And also, the Bible speaks of the Messiah. So he speaks of God, the Father, and then the Messiah like a shepherd. It says uh, he's going to gather lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are young in Isaiah 40. And in Song of Solomon, he talks about these things. And then the third thing in the Bible in the Old Testament Boy, it's fascinating. I can't believe this is in here, but the Lord rails against this. It's the people who are over the flock, the people of God, the, the leaders and the teachers. In Jeremiah 23, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. It's a serious thing to be in charge as a servant of the people of God. And God in the Old Testament, you could see it in Ezekiel 34, God was not happy with the leaders of Israel. You get this? And now here in John chapter 10, we have this, but we also have it every, uh, a lot of different places in the New Testament. Uh, you know that in Matthew 18, Luke 15, he goes and goes for the one, the 99, you know that story, right? Uh, he has pity on people because they're sheep without a shepherd, Matthew 9 talks about. His disciples are his flock, Luke 12. And so on and on and on, what I'm trying to convey to you is that not just in this story, but in the entire Bible, God speaks of his relationship to his people as a sheep, or excuse me, as a shepherd to his sheep. Now let's think about where they were. If you know any geography of uh, Israel, you have Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, you have Galilee in the north. Judean shepherds, man. You know what they had? A really hard and difficult life. Here's why. You ever been to Israel and Judea? Ain't a lot of grass. And now if you have sheep, I want you to know something. Sheep in Israel were a little bit different for sheep in other countries. Sheep in Israel were not necessarily to be slaughtered. Oh, for sure, the Bethlehem sheep were being raised to be slaughtered in the temple. But what did they use it for? Well, they used it for wool primarily. And here's the point. That meant the sheep stayed alive for a long time as opposed to being killed off. You get it? And so there would be shepherds who would be with these people. And what did they do? They'd have to have a little bit of food in their sack, for themselves. They'd have to be geniuses. 
at navigating the terrain. And they would have to be geniuses at knowing where the water was. And what else did they have? They had, they had a, um, uh, a rod. A rod was uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, the rod, like the shepherd's hook. So if a sheep got out in front of you, you could bring them back. Because as we're going to see here, the shepherds in Israel primarily led the way. Why would they lead the way? Because danger was on the horizon, wolves and other things that would come in. And they also had a staff. And the staff was the, this club-like thing to beat them with, a rod and staff. You remember this from uh, Psalm 23? Right. And so uh, it was a very dangerous business. And I want you to think about this. You go to work uh, Monday at 8 o'clock or whatever you do, and you get done at 5, and then you know when Friday comes and, you know, the whistle blows like Fred Flintstone or whatever, you run out of your work, and you're done for the weekend. That wasn't the way it was with the shepherd. The shepherd was with the sheep constantly. Think about this. Constantly. They would be there from morning till night. I mean, all of the time, round the clock. They would constantly be vigilant in finding predators out and about to beat them off. They would constantly be vigilant in making sure everybody's in, all the sheep are in the pack. It was not a very... Uh, uh, high uh, on the socioeconomic scale type of job. It was a job that people would come into as families, listen, and they were born into it and they would, listen, it would, they would love the sheep. There's two references in the Old Testament, fascinating, where the sheep would come back into their sheepfold and they would take their rods, fascinating, and they would make them real low to the ground. Why would they do that? so that the sheep, as they entered the sheep pen, would have to get down and go real slow. And what would the, sheep, the, the shepherd do while they were going real slow? They would examine them for injuries or insects or hurts or struggles so that he could minister to them or give them medicine or take care of them. I mean, this was a full-time job, and it was a job of love. You understand that? There's, there could only be a job of love. You were very much by yourself most of the time. You were out and about. You were with the sheep, and it was a job of love. And families would be involved uh, in this sort of as shepherd families. Well, anyway, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Listen. There's one thing you can know about the shepherd. He has access and a right to go into the pen, the sheepfold. And others are going to be like a shepherd, but they're going to try and go a way that's not prescribed or not normal. They're trying to try and sneak in. Isn't that fascinating? And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, let, let me give you uh, uh, something about the sheep pen. See, in the towns, the sheep pen would have a porter or a watchman at the door. And it would be very communal, very communal, folks. And the sheep porter, the porter or the watchman, would open the door and many would come in at night. And so the shepherds would go and do their thing, whatever they would do. But in the morning when they came to get them, how in the world, if they're all mixed up, 
would they get their sheep back? Well, here's how it happened. And there are so many extra biblical accounts, even to this day, of the way in which the shepherds sang and talked and had pet names for the sheep in that the sheep would recognize their voice and follow him. So in the morning, the shepherd would come and he would sing to the sheep or speak the language that he sort of had made up in the wilderness to the sheep and the sheep would start to stir. You can read so many accounts of people seeing this in Palestine or the area of Canaan here or Israel, whatever you mean, or whatever I'm saying here. Uh, and they would come up and they would rise up and the other sheep would just stay still. It's not the shepherd's voice. And they would come out of the pen. Fascinating. And now once they got out of the city, folks, this is important to the story. You know how you go up on the Allegheny Trail and there's lean-tos? Anybody ever been up there and there's lean-tos? Well, okay, nobody's raising their hand. Thanks a lot. You've ruined my uh, analogy. But there are lean-tos, and there's things up there on the Allegheny Trail where you can sleep, but they're bare bones. It isn't a hotel. I mean, it's a lean-to, little thing over your head. You sleep in your tent, or your, right? But there's a place. That's sort of what the pens were like out in the wilderness. They were just this rock, maybe 8 to 10 foot high, square pen. Watch. And there was no door on it. And there was no porter. And that's important for the story. And here, look at this. The sheep hear his voice and call his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Notice the ver or notice the description there. Own sheep, own sheep by name, and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee for him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus used this illustration. But the people who he was talking to, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. And the thing that he's speaking to them is he's referring back to verse 33 and verse 34 of chapter 9. I healed a blind man, Jesus is saying. And he knew my voice. And he followed me. And there's others who try to enter in a false way, who have not the right access to God. There's others who claim to be shepherds, but aren't really shepherds. And the lost sheep, who God had a very tender heart for, or Jesus had a very tender heart for, followed him. And he's saying to these people, you don't even get it. You don't understand. Chapter 9 and this first six verses is about you, Pharisees and scribes, religious people. So watch this. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, if you have the King James Version, here it goes again. It says, verily, verily. In other words, pay attention. I say to you, here it comes, Another of the I am statements, I am the door of the sheep. Watch. And now you know. When they got out into the wilderness, you know, there was no porter, there was no watchman. Those sheep would, for the night, sort of like the lean-to on the Allegheny Trail, they would go into that pen, and here's what that, um, here's what that shepherd would do. 
He'd stay in the uh, doorway. He'd put his feet against one, uh, one side, and he would just whoom, sit down, and he would be across the doorway. You see it? So what does that signify to people? Hey, look, they're safe inside, and when I get up and bring them out, they're safe again. And so here he is. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Sheep need to be led. And there's another thing this says. In Ephesians 2.18, we're told that we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that uh, every, everybody here know what the tabernacle of God was? How many ways did it have, you know, that traveled with the uh, Israelites in the wilderness? How many ways did it have to go in? One. Temple. How many? What? One. Through the front door. How many ways in a sheep fold, a sheep pen, is there? One. It's so merciful. It's so gracious. It's one of the most gracious things. We have access to the Father by Jesus. He's the door. Now, you guys, come on. You, you, you can't believe how startling this is. The one who created all the universe, the galaxies. If I, I might be saying that backwards. But anyway, all those big things. And then just think about it, all the microorganisms. He created everything from big to small. The Lord created, and you, you and I and we, we have access to him by the blood of Christ. You can now be in your car. You could be in your classroom. You could be at your work. You could be taking a walk in the woods. He's not far. You have access through the blood of Jesus. This is amazing. And Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, and you're going to live now in safety and security. You say, well, wait a second. I have some circumstances that have happened to me don't feel very good. Yeah, well, you live in a fallen world, and the Lord... Uh, says to you and to I and to us, I'll be with you in all of those storms. I'll never let you drown. In other words, the waves won't come over. You might be in the waves, but they won't come over. You might be in the fire, but they won't come over, just like Daniel and his friends. He's the door. Well, all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear him. He's speaking of the religious people. You get in this? I mean, can you imagine if you're sitting there and you're one of those people who said, well, you're not talking about me and my sins, right? And now the Lord here is saying, I'm the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Why is religion a thievery? I want you to think about that for a minute. Because it takes away from the way in which we access God. And that's by grace. It's by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. You don't have to measure up anymore. Do we get to obey once we're into the family of God? Yes, but I never am under pressure to be accepted by God because that's the reason he died and rose again. That's all in the past. You're accepted by God. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. And that's what happens for sheep. They, I want you to catch this. 
Sheep know the truth, watch, and they follow Jesus. You know you say, well, I know you're a pastor. You gotta say that. Well, we don't follow celebrity pastors. Let that sink in for a minute. It's not I gotta listen to him or what, I gotta read only these books, da 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 da. It's Jesus, man. He's the one. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. That means I hear Jesus and I listen to Jesus. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. Sozo. Saved from destruction. You should do a sticker about that. Oh. Somebody here has done a sticker. Saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Are you catching that? This phrase, you don't really get it unless you remember. Do you remember Psalm 121? I think it's verse 8. Check me on that. It might not be verse 8, but I know it's in Psalm 21. The Lord knows our going out and our coming in. See, it's a phrase throughout the Bible that means a freedom of life. We're safe and secure. Look, and we're free. We don't have all of this stuff on us, even under the circumstance of life. We come in and we come out, and we know the Lord is with us. And it's beautiful. What they're saying right here, or what the, what the Holy Spirit is telling us right here, if anyone comes by Jesus, he'll be saved. Obviously, we know that. And we'll go, what that means, saved from eternal damnation, and we'll go in and out and find pasture. We'll have a freedom of life where we can always go and eat and be nourished. It's Jesus. I don't care what circumstance you're under. I know there are difficult circumstances in this room, folks. But through Jesus, we can have a freedom even in the middle of the hard times. I want you to see that. And you go by feeding on him and with him. And the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. There's a little snippet here about the enemy of your souls. The enemy of your souls is behind religion, folks. If I can't be red horns and ugly and, you know, be some horror movie to you, how about I infiltrate the church and get people to believe that you have to measure up to get to God? What a strategy. What a strategy. Here, the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and destroy. And I just got to tell you something, because I know I've been in it before. There's a part of sin that's sort of fun, alluring. You have some great times together sort of thing. But the problem is the end of all of that is sheer destruction and death. The enemy makes it fun for a while, but man, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, it gets old and weary. That's because the enemy's behind it. Isn't it better, instead of pleasure for this amount of time and a lifetime of pain, to just abstain and to just fill yourself up with the light and life of Christ for an eternity of good things. Wow. Well, here he says, the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it 
more abundantly. And if you look at that word, this is super abundant, superior, overflowing. And I want you to know something. It's not necessarily what the people on TV tell you. If you come to the Lord, man, you'll get great watches, great cars, you'll have amazing houses, and you'll, you just won't have any problems in your life. That's not what this means. You know what this means? This means like Paul. You know what the great abundance of life is? It's being content with anything that the world sends your way. Paul said, I could have tons of stuff or nothing but if I learn to be content, oh, that's the thing. And the reason we're content is because the Lord is our portion. We're going to see that here. I want you to stop equating abundant life with opportunities, watches, clothes. That's not it. I really believe it's the ability that the Lord gives us by his life to be content. So it's funny, isn't it? What's social media designed to do for you? The whole thing, the entire structure of social media is for this, to, feel you, to make you feel like your life isn't as good, so you'll go out and buy whatever they're hawking. Now, you can redeem it and put some good stuff up there. Of course you can. The Lord can turn around anything. But be really careful looking at that stuff. And the reason is, is it can, uh, it can kill your abundant life. It can kill your contentment. Well, he goes on and he says, I'm the good shepherd. You're like, wait a minute. Are you the door of the sheep or are you the good shepherd? And the answer is yes, now that you know the story. I've always puzzled about that when I would read the Bible when I was a kid. Well, wait a minute. Are you a door or are you the shepherd? Yes, because he would sit right down in there and guard the sheep at night. So I'm the good shepherd. And I don't want you to uh, uh, gloss over this. The Lord isn't just our shepherd. Man, if we could just, listen, listen. For the next, whatever, 20 days, the next month, just do this. Just, just do this. Just pick an attribute of God every day and have a meditation, have a devotion on it. If you need a place to start, just type in Google Spurgeon's attribute of God. Just type that in you will be blown away. And here, what I want you to know and what I want you to see is we don't just have a shepherd. We have a good shepherd. And that's one of the attributes of God, the goodness of God. One commentator says this. I'm always fascinated when I encounter a characteristic or an attribute of God. The goodness of God is the expression of both his love and righteousness to his creatures in general. It's that aspect of God's character, watch this, that promotes the happiness of his creatures. Goodness includes God's kindness as seen in mercy and grace. It includes his benevolence also. Here's another definition. Just hang with me. We serve the good shepherd. Goodness is a perfection of God's character, watch, which he exercises towards us according to their circumstances and relations. It's benevolence as exercised with respect, watch this, to the miseries of his creatures, 
You ever felt miserable? It's his mercy. It's his pity. It's his compassion. And in the case of impenitent sinners, he has long-suffering patience as exercised in communicating favor on the otherworthy. In other words, it's grace. God is infinitely and unchangeably good, and his goodness is incomprehensible by the finite mind. One more. God is good in himself, that it is, he's perfectly holy, but this is not the goodness which comes into consideration here. It is God's goodness in action, which reveals itself in doing well unto others. That is now under contemplation. It may be defined as that perfection of God which prompts him to, be, to deal bounteously and kindly with all his creatures. It's the affection which the creator feels toward the creatures as such. Uh, Ray Stedman says this. Do you know in Psalm 23 it says, Mercy and grace will follow you all the days of your life. Anybody ever heard that? He says, Mercy and grace are the dogs nipping at the kneel or heels of a believer uh, that accompanies God's goodness in our life. Isn't that interesting? It's always there, always putting us on the path, always uh, keeping us straight. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm the good shepherd, the Lord says. There's so much packed into good. By the way, he used, there's two words in the Greek he could have used here. One means morally pure, like he's a good little boy. That ain't the word they used here. The word he used here was beautiful. God's good. He's the good shepherd. He's beautiful. His holiness is beautiful. Folks, just that over the next month, if we meditated on that, it would change our lives in ways we'd never expect. You know why? Because we have this tendency when our circumstances are in the toilet to think God isn't good. Or when God, our circumstances are up here, oh, now God's good. That's not God's goodness. God is always good towards us, always. And sometimes the circumstances of life do this, but God's goodness never changes. So that when we have circumstances that are in the toilet, we can continue just to rest and rejoice even when they're down here in God's goodness. God is always working out his good and perfect plan in your life. He can take terrible circumstances and redeem them. Watch this. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But watch this. But a hireling, he, uh, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of the fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. 
Uh, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. In other translations that actually says, take it up again. This command I have received from my father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to them? And others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, I want you to just see one other thing before we go. You see, this applies in this story. Jesus has given a hard truth to the religious people of the times. He's saying, you're the wolves. That's what he's saying to the people of the time. And I want you to see something. When Jesus is the door, you know, we focus when he's sitting down there, keeping the people out or the, the predators out from the pen. Do you get this? But what Jesus is saying here, I want you to see this, is there's both a predator coming from without and there's some within. So then he goes on and he says, well, here's the difference between a good shepherd and a hireling. What's a hireling? A hireling is somebody who is hired and only cares about the career advancement or the money or the prestige or the likes on Instagram or Twitter. And they don't really care about the people or the sheep. What they care about is advancing themselves. That's one of the big differences. What do you, how do you know that you're, or Jesus is the good shepherd? Well, he dies for the sheep. So remember, the Bible speaks of leaders or the pastors. What should the leaders or the pastors be like? Well, they should be willing to die for the sheep. Keep the wolves out and address the wolves within. See that? What else is Jesus or why else is Jesus good? Because he knows his sheep. It speaks of intimacy. Remember, I told you that they would know the sheep and they would actually name them. Oh, you got a brown mark on your leg there, sheepy? Okay, you'll be brown leg. Oh, you got a little, you know, red mark on your forehead? I don't know. <laughs> Dot. I don't know. Something. I don't know. Uh, you got something on your elbow? Oh, elbow boy or something. I don't know. But they would call them by name. They would call them by name. And... This is a sense of intimacy. That's what Jesus knows. I don't know if you know this, but go back to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. There's some indication, folks, that the believers, the one who persevere to the end, are going to receive a new name. Go back and read it. I don't exactly know everything that that means, but some believe that he's going to have maybe a pet name for you or a nickname for you, or you're going to actually get a new name that means something in heaven. You can go be a Berean about that. The Lord is intimate with you. He knows you. He understands you and your circumstances. Well, what are some of the other things uh, that the good shepherd does? Well, he brings other sheep into the flock. What's this talking about? Well, here's the, what it's talking about. This is easy. Don't be uh, stuck on this. Well, the Lord came to the Jew first, Israel first. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. You know that, right? But the Bible speaks in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, that Israel was to be a light, what? 
unto the other nations. Just like a great military person, if you're going to go conquer a big area, if you were a great military person, you don't go and just get the big area first. You concentrate one place. And here the Lord went to Israel first. But what did he do? He went to the uh, Israelites first, but then to the Gentile. And what he's doing here and telling us here is he's going to bring other sheep into the flock, the Jew first and then the Gentile. Well, many things, but here's what I want you to see. How can you tell a good shepherd from a bad shepherd or a wolf? Well, here's some of the things. They're going to be more interested than the people. Man, I want you to hear this. Than they do about advancing their career. A thousand dollar tennis shoes. Are you kidding me? Posts about everything they do so that you'll love them. You'll come to their church. I got to just say it, folks. They're more interested, some of them, in their image than they are in the people of God. A great shepherd, he's not in it for the career advancement. He's not in it for the money. He's there because he knows that the the sheep need a shepherd, and he loves the sheep no matter how stupid they are. That's a joke. (laughs) But we are, right? Sometimes we could be, we go off track, and you're like, what am I doing? And here, a shepherd loves them, and he'll go, and he'll, he'll go and seek out the people and try to bring them back. And yet, sometimes, you know, the sheep wander off, and they keep wandering off, and the shepherd had to break their leg to bring them back and get them to stay. So it's a hard job, and it's a job that needs the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit teaching the shepherd when we're speaking of the pastors and the leaders of the church. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. What does that mean, just as we close right here? Here's what I think it is. How do we hear and know the shepherd's voice? Here's what it is. You stick very close to the word. Just get in the word. Faith comes by hearing, and not just hearing great pithy statements out on Facebook or Twitter or social media. No, it comes by hearing the word of God. Be an expert or as expert as you can in coming close to the Lord through his word. And when you do that, watch, you're going to hear from the Lord. If you say, how do I hear from the Lord? Do this. Grab your Bible, pick a book, and read through it as you pray to the Lord. Pray, and when he puts something in your heart, just sort of put it aside. Ask the Lord what he's saying to you there. Speak to him about it. Think about it. Don't just blow by it in 10 minutes and check it off some two-year plan. Do it and be there with him, and the Lord will begin to speak to you by his spirit through his word. That's how we do it now. And you're to be a great Berean so that you don't get duped by wolves. And there are people to help you in your churches. And as we move on out of here, I'm not sure if we're having another song. Are we? I don't see any of the worshipers. The question becomes, who are you trusting in? 
Are you trusting in yourself like the religious people? Are you just so thankful that the door is available to you, that the way is available to you, that Jesus is the good shepherd and he brings you into life, life abundantly? The gospel, that he would lay down his life for the sheep and other sheep which are not of this fold. He brings in, he, he died for the sins of the world. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in what Jesus has accomplished or what you can do for God? We're to trust in what has already been done. That is so liberating. You don't have to be me and I don't have to be you and we don't have to measure up. We just rest in the death and resurrection of Christ and as he speaks to us, we just say, Lord, wherever you send me, that's where I'll go. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these words. Thank you oh, for being the door and being the great shepherd, the good shepherd. And later you're going to tell us you're the son of God in this chapter. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, this brings just so much freedom and life to our lives. What a great adventure it is to be your son or your daughter. Lord, I thank you for these people who went to Hungary and ministered to the Ukrainian folks and to the Hungarians. And I thank you for the people of our fellowship who prayed for them and supported them and all those other things. Lord, we just want to tell you today that we love you, but we know that it's because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.